want to walk in victory, the victory that was given to us at the cross. Lord, your word tells us that in the beginning, you created. And Lord, we thank you for all that you did create before its beauty. I was just marveling yesterday, Lord, how beautiful that your creation is. The animals, the birds, the sky, the trees, Lord. Oh, what a great God you are. You gave it all, did it all for us. And then you sent your son to redeem us from the pit. We thank you and we praise you. And we give you the glory. And today, Lord, as we study your word, may we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we walk out of this place, let us apply what we learn so that you're glorified in our lives everywhere we go, with every step we take, with everything we do, and with every word we say. And to you be the glory for it all. Lord, in Jesus' name, the cross meant to kill is our victory, and we praise you. Amen and amen. God bless the church. I just wanted to remind those that just tuned in that this is Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches, and I'm Pastor Joe Trapani, and we're glad you're here. You can check out our website, freedomchurchpb.org. PB stands for Palm Beach, freedomchurchpb.org. You can donate. You can you can uh, you know, find out our messages. You can listen to any messages from years back. You can check out who we are, what we believe in. Simplest terms, it's all about Jesus here at Freedom Church. He came, he died, he was buried, and he is risen. You're going to see that in today's message. He has risen the third day according to the scriptures. We're in Matthew chapter uh, 4, and uh, we're doing an expositional study. So for those online, you can tune in next week at 10 a.m. We'll be here to worship and then move into our message. I'll be in Matthew chapter 5 next week. You know, on Thursday nights, you can air us on at the same website, freedomchurchpb.org, at 7.15. And we're studying expositionally in, in uh, Genesis, and we're in chapter 38 this week. So tune in, everyone out there, and, uh, you know, hear the word of God. We don't mince words around here. Um, let's put it that way. It's all about Jesus. If you have a hard time with Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, you will not be comfortable here until you receive him as your Savior. You know, because we're preaching virtually around the world, sometimes and in, in the United States. And you know what? I just met a missionary. We lent him our van while he was in town. He was from Guatemala, and he was sent to America to witness to us. That's a disgrace. We're supposed to be going there. And I've been there twice. No, three times been there three times to Guatemala. But they're sending people to us. Praise the Lord. That's reaping the benefits of what America already did in the beginning. So praise the Lord. Last week, I just want to review real quickly Matthew chapter 4. We were shown two truths. Number one, temptation is not sin. Jesus was being led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, being led by the Holy Spirit. So listen. Temptation itself is not sin. It's when you act it out. Temptation is not sin. God is testing you if you're, if you're being tempted. And truth number two I pointed out last week is there a, a big difference between God's testing and Satan's tempting. God tests us to pr prove our faith, and the devil and to make us stronger. God tests us to, to make us stronger and to draw us close to him when the devil's trying to take us away from being close to him. So we learned that Jesus had three temp temptations, and you know that. The first temptation, you know, I, what did Jesus say? He, and, and it's a model for us. He did it all. And all the three temptations that the devil threw before him, Jesus modeled for us an outline how to handle temptation. Number one, when the devil test, tempted him, he lifted up his shield of faith and said, it is written. He was saying, it is written in the word of God 
That's a shield of faith. That, that fiery missile that the devil just shot at Jesus just hit, just hit the, uh, the, the shield of faith and just fizzled out or dropped to the ground or ricocheted and, and went back to Satan and hit him. And then he lashed out with the Word of God. It is written, then he quoted Scripture. Man doesn't live by bread alone, Satan. He lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That is the Word of God. That is the sword of the Spirit. So Jesus is using the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, to take down the enemy, and that's how we have to do it. There's 31,102 verses in the New in the Old and the New Testament, in the King James verses, 31,102 verses, and you can use any one of them to say it is written, slash to the heart of Satan. And finally, in the end, just like you saw, you know, Jesus just said, be gone, Satan. And he was be goned. He went. Just like that. You know why? Because he knew if he had a fourth temptation, guess what Jesus would have did? He would have said, it is written, take the word of God and, and pierce his heart. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Satan, every tongue of yours that accuses me in judgment, I will condemn. That's my inheritance, and my justification is in, in the Lord. He would, if he had a fifth time, he would have did the same thing. And it's a model for us. Anytime you're tempted, it is written, word of God, devil is, is resisted. You're submitting yourself to God's word. So keep on doing that. That's the model for us today. It's, it's, it's very important. I even had uh, a sword and a shield up here to show you this, to just try to get a, a verbal picture, a picture, a literal picture of what's going on. Jesus redeemed the world at the cross. We just sang that this morning in the last song. That cross meant to kill is really our victory. And God said that in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. He said, the seed of the woman will crush your skull and you only bruise his heel. That was exactly being done right, right to, to any one of us. We, you know, they, Satan um, was crushed at the cross. And it is over. He is already defeated. We fight from victory, not to victory. The victory has already been, been done. So use your shield of faith, your sword of the Spirit, to take on the forces of darkness that are in the world. That is a very important, and it's a very simple outline, too. It's very simple. Shield of faith, it is written, Word of God, quote it. Now, it's important that you know the Word of God so you can quote it and not misquote it. In, G in, in Satan's temptations, he actually quoted now Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. He said, throw yourself down from here, because it is written that, that the, his angels will bear you up. Listen, see, if you've got to know the Word of God, to quote the Word of God, and you've got to keep it in context, because the devil took that way out of context, and, and he expected the Son of God to not recognize it. Who is the Word of God? We have to know the Word of God. You're supposed to meditate. You're supposed to read it. You're supposed to memorize it. You're supposed to study it. You're supposed to walk in the ways of, of the, the Scriptures. It's, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. It's to make us better people as we walk on this earth for Christ. I named this chapter, Return and Live. Jesus is going to begin His ministry in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 17. He was baptized by John last chapter. You remember that? He was baptized not because he was a sinner, but because he was a model again for us that we have to be baptized. John says, you've got to baptize me. I can't baptize you. And Jesus said, do this to fulfill all righteousness. He was identifying with sinners. That's why Jesus came to earth. One of the reasons, he was to identify with us who were sinners, only give us a model where we don't, we don't have to fail. Our, you know, that uh, for us not to fail as many times, let's put it that way. Because even if you could do it all right from the time you were born, you still have the original sin of Adam and Eve, where the devil deceived and, and uh, man denied the word of God, really, as time went on. 
Return and live. I even thought of renaming this, Why Will You Die? And you're going to see why when I pull out a couple verses in, in Ezekiel. Why will you die? Or return and live. So, I'm going to read chapter 4. I'm reading from the New American Standard. I'm going to read chapter 4, starting at verse 12, all the way to verse 25, okay? And we're going to study this as we go. We're doing expositional study. As I said, these, what can I say? This is not tickle-ear stuff. This is college college uh, class, you know, where you learn deeper, you dig deeper, you look for the, the pearls and the gems in God's Word, and there is thousands of them in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Here's verse uh, 12 of Matthew chapter 4, New American Standard Version. Now, when he heard that John had been taken into custody. He is Jesus here. He withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he, became, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, Beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And to those who were sitting in the land and, and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And walking by the sea, of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, and his, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, and the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father mending their nets and he called them they and they are they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him and Jesus was going about in Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people and the news about him went out into Syria and they brought to him all who were ill, taken by various diseases and pains and demoniacs and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And a great multitude followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Wow, this is starting to establish Jesus' ministry. Jesus, uh, well, let's, let's wait till we get to verse 17. Here's verse 12. I'm going to repeat it here. Now, when he heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, and he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Natali. You remember John the Baptist, what did he say? He said, he must, I must decrease and he must increase. John has decreased. He has been arrested by Herod. And, uh, and uh, Jesus' ministry is just beginning here. Actually, from last chapter to now, has been approximately a year has gone by. He's probably already met John Peter and James and John and Andrew, he probably met them already. They all knew about him. So, so here's the picture. John is imprisoned. He's imprisoned by Herod, and this is Herod Antipas, by the way, who arrested John and, and uh, bound him and had him beheaded in the end. The reason why... Herod wanted to kill him, but he, di he didn't. 
He didn't kill him till he was trapped into it because he knew the people counted John as a prophet. And as we know from studying Scripture that Jesus said he was the greatest of the prophets. So it was right for Herod to lay back on, on, on uh, John the Baptist, but, you know, his girlfriend, I should say, Herodias, tricked him with you using her daughter. It was Herod's birthday, and his girlfriend, Herodias, the, da the daughter, danced, and she did so well that, that he said, up to half of the kingdom I'll give you. And she went and asked her mother, and her mother said, ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. Now, can you see the sickness of these two women, mother and daughter? John the Baptist, a great minister of the gospel, you know, he's, he's in prison. He was tricked. And Herod, in order to obey, you know, have not be called a liar, had it done. And it led to John's beheading. And Jesus found out that he was in prison. And he came, you know, to, he began to start his ministry. Verse 13, Jesus leaves Nazareth and goes to Zebulun and Natalie and settles in Capernaum. Fulfilling Scripture, by the way, and the Scriptures we read in verses 15, 14 and 15 um, in Matthew chapter 4 is really Isaiah chapter 9. Let me read it to you, first and second verse of, of Isaiah chapter 9. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish in earlier times. He treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea. On the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in darkness and a dark land, a light will shine on them. Here it is. The light of the world is now in the Zebulun, Naphtali area in Capernaum area, people who walk in darkness. These were, this was called Galilee of the Gentiles. He came to the Gentiles to redeem us also who were not born Jewish. Oh, verses, verses 6 and 7. Let's go back to the same chapter, Isaiah 9. Turn to verse 6 and 7. And he says here, you know, he's the light of the world. Is, you know, as the light is going to shine in a dark place. And here we go. Verse 6, For a child will be born to us, and a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end or increase to his kingdom, his government, or of his peace on the throne of David and over the kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall accomplish this. This child will be born as a light to the Gentiles and to hopefully wake up the Hebrew nation, Israel. See, Jews... This were, they were stuffed in their so tradition, they didn't even recognize that these passages of Scripture of the prophet Isaiah was being fulfilled. The Jews were so steeped in their tradition for over 400 years, from Malachi to the Gospel of Matthew. 400 years had passed. They failed to recognize the Scriptures, and they are now placing their tradition above the Scriptures. The scriptures are to be up here, not tradition up here. They, were, they actually replaced God's word with their own traditions, and that happens today more than you think. This great light is to the Gentiles. You know why? Because they have no God and or they have the wrong God. And God said, okay, enough of this. 
legalism and religiosity and putting your traditions above my word. And Jesus rebuked the devils, I mean, the scribes and Pharisees and all the lawyers of the law all the time about their traditions. He never broke the law of Moses. He broke their traditions and they were upset. They sat in darkness, us Gentiles back then. I'm, I'm uh, Italian, so we start, we were, I'm a Gentile breed, as most of you are. Some of you aren't, because I know there's some Hebrew uh, believers here. Okay, they sat in darkness. There was no light. There was no hope. Their future was stolen by the devil, and he, they didn't even know it. They had no joy. They were sad. In their heart. They were sitting in the shadow of death. These people, these Gentiles, and God loved, so loved the world, not just the Hebrews, that he gave his only begotten son. That all you had to do is believe in him, and you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. In verse 17, go back to Matthew, verse 17 of Matthew chapter 4. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say. Jesus' ministry began. And he begins the same way all the prophets did. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why is the kingdom of heaven at hand? As I said last week, because the king is here. You remember the messenger, Isaiah, who was, or, or, I'm sorry, Elijah, who was actually John the Baptist. He was the messenger saying, the king is coming, the king is coming. And here he is, the kingdom, the king is now on earth. So now the kingdom is at hand. That's what John the Baptist was preaching. That's what Jesus was preaching. All the, all the prophets, they preached the same thing. They preached repentance. And today it's so no different. Why shouldn't we preach repentance in a church of this? I look around, I see everybody here that, as a believer. Why should we preach repentance? Because we need to repent further. Sin has crept into the church, and I'm going to show you some things as we move on. Sin has crept into the church to the point where, where we exalt some sins, and we don't rebuke them. Like we're supposed, we're afraid the, the money, money box might be a little empty. Listen, I don't want a full money box in an empty spirit church. I want a full spirit church and you then the empty money box. But God isn't going to allow that to happen as long as the gospel is preached as far as I'm concerned. So Jesus, verse 13, he leaves Nazareth. Okay, I already did that, I believe. Yeah. Here he is. He's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Soon, the kingdom of heaven is going to be in your heart when the Holy Spirit is being given. The, whole, the kingdom of heaven is here on earth right now, in our hearts. But we're still in a foreign land, as you well know. We're aliens and strangers now to this world because you've been born again of the Spirit of God. And you really are ambassadors here in a foreign land representing your country, heaven. And that's why you preach the gospel to people and I preach the gospel to people. Because the kingdom of heaven is right here. And you want your mother to have it. You want your father to have it. You want your children to have it. You want your neighbors to have it. You want your enemies to have it. Because it would be a changed person. What is the message of the gospel? Very simple. And you should memorize this if you don't know it. But 1 Corinthians, at least know where it's at in the Scriptures. Somebody asks you, what is the gospel? Here it is. Paul is telling the Corinthian church, verses 1 through 4. Let me read them to you. New American Standard Version of 1 Corinthians. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved, listen, if you hold fast. You remember Jesus told one of the churches in Revelation, he says, hold fast. We need to hold fast our faith, especially in a world today like this where you get all this junk that comes over the Internet that comes over the TV, 
It tells you that God is dead, and man, man came up from an ape or amoeba out of the sea and turned into an ape. Before you know it, now we have man. I have news for you. I believe with all my heart that the Neanderthal man was higher intelligence, and actually it could have been Adam and Eve being Neanderthals. They were. They actually named the animals. I mean, it wasn't born in a cave or didn't even walk out of the ocean. That is, that's conflicting with the Word of God. If you hold fast the Word which I preach to you, Paul's talking the Word here, and then he goes, and which and he's going to explain it as he goes here, and which I preach to you unless you believed in vain. In other words, you believed uh, with your head knowledge. Didn't have a heart knowledge at all into it. Unless you believed you know, in vain. You didn't really, you, you had an emotional experience. And it's vanity because you didn't have a heartfelt change. Here's, the, here's what it is. He says, Ah, for I delivered to you as of first importance. This is the first important thing in all the universe right here, right now. Paul is saying, I preached to you the message, the gospel of first importance, number one. That I received also. In other words, I'm saved too. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried. And that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And it's of, it's of first importance. Why do you think Billy Graham ran around preaching the gospel? Because it's first importance. Conrad uh, Bunky uh, preached the gospel, and many more. They're preaching the gospel today. You know, that Christ came, that Christ died according to the Scriptures, that He was literally buried, and the Scriptures talk about that being fulfilled, and then He rose from the dead three days later, just as Jonah was in the, the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. That is the gospel in a nutshell. Christ died, he was buried, he's risen. But yet I see signs around, God is dead. I'll tell you what, God is not dead, you're dead. You're dead. You're dead spiritually, and you will die in your sins without Jesus Christ in your heart. This must be driven home today. Paul's driving it home right here in the next few verses. He said, he appeared to Peter. After he was dead and risen, he appeared to Peter. He appeared to the 12 apostles. He appeared to 500 more, most of whom are alive today when Paul wrote this. It's about 65 A.D. here. Jesus died about 35, 34, 35 A.D., somewhere in there. 30 years later, some of these people died in those 30 years or 25 years. But then, you know, and then he goes on, he says, then he appeared to James and all the apostles. And then he says, and even me, who's the least of everything, he even appeared to me. And don't forget, if you read the Gospels, you're going to find out he appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to the ladies on the road back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples that he is risen. No, that the, the tomb is empty. He, listen, Jesus is alive today. If you took all these witnesses, put them in a, in, a, in, a, in a courtroom and had the jury judge all these people seeing Jesus alive and he preached with them and he ate with them. The verdict would be, he's alive. Even the judge would have to throw his court, his what stick out, the hammer out because it's, Jesus is alive and he is very well. You wouldn't be a Christian if you weren't. This is important. This has to be driven home today. We're in a world of that hates God. So it must be driven home. You have to repent, return, and live. Why is it that the church today just doesn't want to repent? You know what James 4.17 says? It's now time for judgment to start at the house of God. It doesn't start out there in the world, church. It starts in this church. 
It starts with me. It starts with you. And it, it starts in every church. Judgment's going to start with us. Get straight. Get right. Or you will be judged. You know, the reasons why some of the church today refuses to repent is they do not really believe. Some people don't believe. They go to church just to say, hey, I went to church today. It was nice of them to go to church. Hey, I taught Sunday school for the last 25 years, but they never asked Jesus Christ to come into their heart. They, and they really don't believe. Another reason, they love their sin. Let's face it, kids, we love our sin, don't we? Because when Jesus rebukes, when the Holy Spirit rebukes us, we have a hard time giving it up, no matter what it may be. Maybe we don't love our brother enough to share the gospel with them. Maybe. Repentance is the first and most important issue that must be addressed in order to have faith. Repentance. You cannot have true faith in Christ without repentance. God sent all the prophets to tell us that. He sent his own son to tell us that. And he sent the apostles to tell us that. You cannot have true faith in Christ without repentance. Why, again, is it frowned on in the churches? I'll tell you, I'm going to answer from Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and 21, Revelation 21, verse 8. Because they're unbelieving. Because they're cowards. Do you ever think of yourself as a coward because you won't receive Jesus? You're afraid of what your mother might say. You didn't even get baptized in water because what people will say to you, oh, you know, you were baptized in water. You know, you're a coward. You've got to have strength and faith and courage like Joshua. They're liars. They're cheaters. They're stealing. There's fornication, adultery, homosexuality, sodomy, lust, love for money, murder in thought and in heart and in deed. Sorceries, which speaks about drugs, by the way. Did you know sorceries speak about drugs? You know what you know what the Greek word for sorceries is? Pharmakos. Sound familiar? Pharmacy. Sorcery is a form, uh, you know, drugs are a, force, a form of sorcery. Let's think about it. Back in my days there was uh, LSD. You had a bad you were on a trip. It's sorcery. You were seeing things you don't really exist. There's idolatry in the church, anger, jealousy, strife. And we know where there's jealousy and strife, the Scriptures say there's every evil work. There's disputes, dissensions, envies, drunkenness, drugs, immorality, sensuality, witchcraft, horoscopes, hatred, rivalries. And God's declaring to the church and to the world, repent to me with your whole heart, as Joel chapter 2, verse 12 tells us. Return to me with your whole heart. God wants the church to return to Him with their whole heart. Not wave my hand. Oh, this was a nice message today, Pastor. Hosea 14.2. What's it Hosea say? Return to me, says. Return to me. Say to Him, Take away all my iniquity. God's telling us to return to Him. Jeremiah says, return unto me with your whole heart. Today, people are ignoring God's rule book. You have to repent with your whole heart. I'm going to go over to Ezekiel, where I mentioned to you earlier. Here's what God is speaking through Ezekiel here in the... In the 18th chapter, the 23rd verse, and the 31st verse, I'm going to read that later. Do I have, do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked? God's saying, I don't, I don't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. You can find that in, in, in verse 31, 32. God doesn't take 
pleasure in Hitler dying. You know what he takes pleasure in? Rather than they should turn from his ways and live. You know, sometimes us Christians, we wonder why evil men get to live long lives. Did you ever consider God's mercy and grace? If we're 32 and God takes us home, we're saved. We're going to heaven. He's just given those people longer time to repent out of his grace and his mercy because he doesn't wish that anyone would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So let me, re- let me couple that with verse 31. Verse 23, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, rather than they should turn from their ways and live? Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed, and make yourself a new heart. In other words, forsake them. Make yourself a new heart and a new spirit, for why will you die? I've had people tell me right at their deathbed, they would rather not have God. They're at their deathbed. They don't fear God in any way, shape, or form. God's saying, why would you die? All you have to do is repent. Receive my son. And then he goes on again, just driving home. Verse 23, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies. God created Adam and Eve to live forever. Did you know that? We goofed it up. They goofed it up. And we are children just like them because when I came out of the womb I probably did the same thing I sinned even when I came to the age of accountability I sinned I wish I never did but I did but even then I'd still have to repent because Adam and Eve you know screwed this world up we just screw it up more unless we repent and get with the program therefore he goes on in verse 32 therefore repent and live Why is it so hard for mankind to repent? Why? Malachi 3.7 says the same thing. Return to me and I will return to you. Come back to God, you backsliders. Come back to God. Revelation 2, 4, and 5, Jesus is talking. You have left your first love. Turn back to me. Come back to me. It's written all through the Scriptures. You know, return in the King James Version is written about 22 times. Repent's written 43 times. Come unto me. Come to me in that context 157 times. You know why God, God wants mankind to come to him? Jesus even said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those are some of the things why you come to God. Number one, that you might live. Number two, that your distresses might be gone. You throw your burden on him. He says, come to me because I give. Come to me because you're weary and heavy laden. Come to me because you're thirsty. Come to me to hear my words. Come to me and rest. Come to me and inquire for help. Come to me for peace and for love and for salvation. That's what the Lord wants you to do. For true repentance, you must believe as Peter believed. Peter affirmed who Jesus is, and you need to believe like Peter believed. And what he said in Matthew 16, 16, Jesus said to him, Who do you say I am? And Peter said, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's belief. He said, I know who you are. Are are, Have you had that confirmation in your spirit yet? You must be confronted with your sin. If you think you're not a sinner, you'll never be saved. Why don't you go claim your throne in heaven? You know why? Because you don't have one there, because you're a sinner. We're all sinners. I said it many times from this pulpit. I don't even know why God put me behind a pulpit until he told me, you're all sinners. Who am I going to use? I just chose you. 
He who comes after me, whom I will send, he will convict you concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Righteousness because I go to the Father and you'll see me no more. Judgment because the prince of this world is judged. You must have revelation. I'm trying right now to reveal God to you in Christ. You must have the revelation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's Jesus. All things were were created by Him. That's Jesus. And the things that were made by Him, and without Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That just shows you that Jesus is the creator, which goes back to what the scriptures that I taught you in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, 2, and 3. In verse 3, Jesus said, it says, God said, let there be light. Well, that's Jesus. It came into being through Jesus. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's in verse 1 of Genesis. God, the Father, you see Him. The Spirit of God hoovered over the face of the water. That's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And then the third verse, and God said, and Jesus just said right here, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is speaking. That's Jesus speaking in the third verse of Genesis chapter 1. And He created all things. And all things were created by Him and through Him and for Him. You have to have that revelation. I came to that revelation myself years ago, 44 plus years ago, the revelation that Jesus Christ is Lord. You've got to believe he's not just, he's, yes, he, was, he came as a man because there was a body prepared for him, says Hebrews chapter uh, 10 and verse 5, okay? But it was prepared for him. He was 100% man and 100% God. So therefore, you can love a, you can love God because He's not a man; He's God. You got to come to the reality. You have the revelation: Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, who came to redeem mankind, and then He left, and then the Holy Spirit could come and be with us, whatever part of the world you're in, right in your heart. You must acknowledge and receive Him as your Savior. But as many as He was in the world, listen, He was in the world, and the world was created by Him, and yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own people, and those who were His own people did not receive Him. But as many as did receive Him, he gave you, you, the right to become a child of God. Whew. A child of God. You're a child of God if you believe in Jesus. You're the, you know, I love my dad and my mom. I'm a child of my mom and dad, but, I, but I'm also a child of God. Whew. What a high calling. What a high calling that is. Why will you die? Repent and live, says Ezekiel. You can confess with your mouth. A lot of people confess with their mouth, but their heart's not in it. That's what Paul tells the Roman church. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And then here's the condition. For with your heart, you believe and result in righteousness. But with your, with your, with your mouth, you confess and result in righteousness. But with your heart, Confession is made unto salvation. Whew. Praise the name of the Lord. I hope there's a whole 7.5 billion people listening to this today. I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I believe in him with all my heart, and you're foolish not to. Because your life's going to be over one day. 
It's appointed once for us to die, and after that comes judgment. And you know what? How long do you think you have to live? Tomorrow's not guaranteed. What if you live to be 900? You still need Jesus. You're still going to die. Might as well. I'm, I was 27 when I got saved. I'm 44-plus years in the Lord now, and the 44-plus are way better than the 27 that went before. I wish I had another 27 to add to that 44. Because that is the greatest day of my life. And those years went like this. I'm wondering what happened Where's 20 years ago. It was like yesterday. I say, the grandkids are now two years old. No, they're five. Wow, time goes. You don't know what tomorrow brings. Repentance is not an emotional commitment, an emotional response. It's a conscious decision, and you have to make that conscious decision. Repentance precedes your entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And that's why Paul said this is the message of first importance. That's why the prophets came on and said, repent and return. That's why Jesus coming on the scene. John the Baptist came on the scene and says, repent. That's why Jesus' ministry begins with the word repent. Is the church preaching repentance today? Some of them. Is the church flaunting sin today? Some of them. Flaunting means showing admiration, showing defiance even, by allowing sin to go on in the church. If you're living with one another, out of wedlock, maybe you have children with one another. Some people are saying, but our Social Security will be cut off. Probably. Who are you trusting? God or the government? I hope that's not true, but it could be. If you're living together, I've got two words for you. If you're in this church, and I know every one of you here, and uh, you're not living together. But i got news for you. If you're living together in wedlock, here you have two solutions. Move out or get married. If you're living together, why not get married? People flaunt sins, their drugs, their alcohol addiction. Here's the solution for that. Seek God and his righteousness, and all those things will be added unto you. You could go to rehab, too. That helps. There are programs like that, and I'm not knocking them. I think it's great. But don't put all your trust in rehab. Put it in Jesus Christ, him crucified, dead, buried. Revelation 22:15 says this, Blessed are they who do his commandments, and they that they might have right to the tree of fruit, the tree of life, and may enter through the gates of the city, for outside are the dogs, sorcerers, pharmacos, remember, drugs, and whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and liars. And this rebellion, we're told in 1 Samuel 15, 33, is as the sin of witchcraft. Is the church today different from the world? Not according to the world. They see us just like them. We're sinners. You live together. You have children together out of wedlock. You're drug addicts and alcoholics. When you go to work on Monday morning, you're still foul-mouthed talking just like them. You have Peter's syndrome, who followed Jesus from a distance. You're following Jesus from a distance, same thing's going to happen to you as Peter. He finds himself, he finds himself fellowshipping with the enemy. And before you know it, his third, his third denial of Jesus, he finds himself cussing and swearing, just like the enemy. Listen. You've got to stop it now. The world looks at the church, and they're saying hypocrites. 
because there's homosexuals, they brag about it, there's sodomites. I'm telling you, come here and we'll deal with it and pray about it and get rid of it because you weren't born that way. I don't care what the government tells you. I don't care what books tell you. You were not born that way. God tells you in Romans chapter 1 that he handed you over to a depraved mind because you because you deliberately disobey God. I'm sorry you feel that way, and I'm sorry you're under conviction, but that's not my problem. The Holy Spirit's convicting you because he convicts the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment, Matthew chapter 16. There's adultery, fornication, drugs, drunkenness, cohabitation, abortion even. Pastors and clergy are falling to sexual sin by the score. And the, and the world looks at them and they say, you want me to repent? You're just as bad. Come on, we got to wake up. Jesus says to the church, return to me. Judgment's going to start with you, church. It's going to start at the house of God. There's witchcraft. People in churches, every morning they get the newspaper, they go online, check their horoscope. Did you check in with God? Horoscopes. You're trusting in a horoscope? Somebody come up with a little writing? What if it even what if it is demonically led? Then what are you doing on the demonic side? Get to the the, the true side, God's side. The church is waiting for the world to repent, and all the time the church is the world's looking at the church waiting for us to repent. And that's what this message is about. You know why? Because that's what Jesus came on the scene doing. That's what John the Baptist and all the prophets came on the scene doing. Revival starts at the house of God. Let me read 1 Peter 4, 17 to you. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it begins at, with us first, what shall the end be of those who obey not the gospel of Christ? And if the... And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinners appear? Woo! Tough. Isaiah 35, verse 4 says, He, that means the Messiah, will come and save you. I pulled this little, I pulled this little note out of a newspaper or something. Here's, here's a line going into the church, and here's one or two people standing going to God. And the caption up top says, No church saved you. God saved you through his son, Jesus Christ. We must return to God. If you're going to church because the Baptist church, the Presbyterian church, the Catholic church, the Methodist church, the Lutheran church, the whoever's church, the church does not save you. Get that through your head. Jesus Christ saves you. That's why this is a non-denominational church. Yes, I'm trained under a certain ministry. But listen, Jesus saves you. As I was putting this message together when I was a little boy, I remember going hunting with my dad many times. And up in the mountains of Pennsylvania, on the, on the trees was a little plaque like this, but about six inches thick and about that long painted white with red letters and it said Jesus saves I used to see them all the time and I used to wonder when a kid what does that mean that means the Catholic Church don't save you the Baptist Church don't save you Jesus saves you if you believe in him not the Catholic Church or the Presbyterian Church I hope you hope they are their their uh, beliefs line up with scripture and I think they do for the ones I mentioned anyhow Denominations don't save you. Believe, return, repent, and forsake your sin. Verses 18 through 22. Verses 18 through 22. We're moving on from that issue. But keep that in the forefront in case any of you need to come up front today. 18 through 22. And walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left the nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. That's what you need to do, people out there. Leave your nets, leave your boat, and follow Jesus immediately. Immediately. Jesus is in Capernaum. His headquarters was really in Capernaum from this time on. Capernaum was a trade route connecting Asia, Africa, and Europe together. It had a considerable population. It even had a tax office. And you're going to find out that Matthew, the tax collector, the disciple of Jesus, came from Capernaum. They had a prevailing attitude of, of openness. So they were going to listen to the message. And I believe God knew that, and that's why Jesus' ministry began there. We know that Peter and Andrew were brothers. They followed immediately. I got to say, when I was confronted and had the revelatory knowledge of God on me, I did not follow immediately. I regret that to this day. It was a few months, maybe a few weeks. I don't even remember. But I wish I would have said it right there. But I had a few things to weigh out, and I considered the cost. Verse 20, they left their nets immediately. The nets here, represented both by Peter and Andrew and James and John, the nets have a, a, an important significance here. They, they, they actually represent material security and emotional identity. Let me say that again. A material security, money, and emotional identity. Their identity is as fishermen. As disciples also are called to follow Jesus above when now in Christ we have our security. And in Christ we have our identity. I'm a child of Joseph Dominic Trapani, but I'm also a child of God. I have my identity, and you have your identity in Jesus Christ. Now these disciples, four of them, have been called, and their identity is in Jesus, and their security is in Jesus. They're trusting him for food, clothing, and shelter. Verse 21 there's two other brothers are called, James and John. James here is the one who was beheaded by Herod Agrippa in Acts chapter 12. John was most likely, and I've said it many times from this pulpit, I, I believe him to be no more than 12 to 15 years old. And that's why he was allowed to stay at the cross when Jesus died. And he, he said to his mother Mary, or he said to John, Behold, your mother, and mother, behold your son. Yeah, I think John was at that age that he could be considered a young man or a boy. And therefore, you know, he, he was allowed to go places where the other older disciples could not. And on top of that, he lived way beyond the other apostles. They, they were dead by 70 A.D., most of them, okay? And, and John was alive until he wrote Revelation about 95 A.D. So we're talking about 25 years. So he was a lot younger. He also outran Peter to the tomb, if you remember right. Shows a little bit, little bit more youth than that. Verse 22, they also willingly break the strongest tie bond ever, their father and son tie bond, and then they left and followed Jesus immediately. Verses 23 through 25, our last verses let me read them to you and jesus was going about in galilee teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people and the news about him went out into all syria and they brought to him all who were ill taken with various diseases and pains demoniacs epileptics paralytics and he healed them and a great multitude followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. These verses show you what's going on, the threefold aspect of Christ's ministry. 
Number one, he's teaching. He's teaching, he's preaching, and he's healing. That's the threefold ministry, and the church today has that same ability to teach, preach, and heal. He's the prophet, he's the priest, and he's the king, and he has is certainly able to teach, preach, and heal. And did you notice that 27 said, And the great multitude followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan? Do you realize the strategy here that Jesus has? His strategy is he's healing all these people, right? Okay? He's healing all these people from the, the whole area. And then next chapter, he's going to move into the Beatitudes. For three chapters following this chapter, Jesus is going to be teaching. Three full chapters of Jesus' teaching. He, he, he used this, this time of, of healing people to draw people in so that he could preach the, the, uh, the Beatitudes to him. Strategy. To get as many people as he can at the same time. That's what happened at Pentecost. Too. All the people came in from Jerusalem. That's why the, the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. Because all these people came in from, from the Europe and Asia and, and even Africa. They come in and, 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 they're, and the apostles are speaking in tongues and preaching repent. That's our aspect here at Freedom Church too. Teach, preach, and heal. I'm a teaching pastor. I'm a preaching pastor, too. I preach many times. You've got both here today, preaching and teaching. When I went to Guatemala, where was I? Where I just came back from Brazil a few, almost two years ago, almost three years ago. Wow. See what I mean? Time goes fast. Um, I remember, what did I do there? I, I preached. I preached in a lot of different churches. In one church, a whole altar came filled up with people. I'm going like, what do I do now? You know, it never happened to me before. So I just got down, you know, got went around and prayed for everybody, laid my hands on them, and the team was there praying for me and with me. And I prayed for them. That's all I could do, and I know God did a mighty work. There was a girl there, a young girl. She must have been in her 20s. She had cancer, and she was going to die. I'll tell you what, even to this day, I believe she's still alive and healthy. But anyway... I just did what, what I could, and I, and I was preaching at that time. And I believe healing went on at that time. It certainly wasn't me. I can guarantee you that. It was God. He's healing every kind of sickness and disease. Actually, actually, the word used in Greek says multicolored or even shady diseases. Diseases that maybe they didn't even know the name for today. That like we might know the name, like multiple sclerosis or cancer. You know, we we didn't, they didn't know them back then. The tense of the verb here used when Jesus was healing is instantly. It was instantly done. He did, it didn't come had to pass ten years later or ten days later. It was the verb used in Greek is instantly. Verbs are so important. Study, you know, when you study Greek. Because we know teaching, preaching, and healing, and there's some people out there that don't believe healing is for day. I feel sorry for you. And guess what? That shows you have no faith, and guess what? You'll probably never get healed, and you'll think you're right. Jesus' stripes heals us. By the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. By the stripes of Jesus in the New Testament, Peter tells us by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. From the time he's, his stripes were taken on his back until, uh, until we're dead and gone, until the last person on the face of the earth before the, the final kingdom, healing is going to take place. But I feel sorry for you. You're, you'll never get healed if you believe that way. And the scriptures clearly speak the healing is for today. Well, it just it died out with the apostles. Well, which one? 
Huh? Was it Brother Jake over here? Or was it Brother Paul over there back then? Which one? Why would God, since he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, why would he take it away for us today? Huh? You're going to believe the word? Or are you going to get with the program and believe that there's healing for today? Look it up in the Greek and look it up in the Hebrew. In Isaiah 53 and I in uh, 1 Peter 2. Look it up and you'll find out that the word used is talking about healing, deliverance, redemption, salvation, all covered by the same Hebrew and Greek words. Hebrews 20, I mean, verse 24, and the news about him spread throughout Syria and throughout, uh, throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all that were ill with, with various diseases and pains, epileptics, demoniacs, paralytics, and he healed them. You know what? Some people today, even you or me, we might say, well, if I had that power, I'll heal myself. Jesus didn't do anything for himself. It was always for others. Matthew 25, 4:25, And a great multitude followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. Great multitude could speak to over 15,000 here. And when back in those days, you're speaking of 15,000. You didn't even count the men and, I mean, the children and the women then. So it could have been up to upwards of 20, 30, 40,000 people. And Jesus is, is setting them up to, heal, to hear the, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, these beautiful teachings that could only come from one God and one God, man, and that's Jesus Christ. What is the miracles are happening? Miracles are happening. What is a miracle? What is a miracle? The miracle of healing is a supernatural activity that communicates a spiritual truth. A supernatural activity that communicates a spiritual truth. And by Jesus healing all these people, here's what it's saying. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the healer. He is Jehovah Rapha, our healer. That's what it's speaking to. So, if God would use you to heal somebody someday, don't for one minute think it was you. The devil would do that. He'd be stealing God's glory, which is why he was thrown out of the kingdom, because of his pride. And you don't want to be like him, do you? It wasn't you that healed. It was God that healed him, that person, through you. You did nothing. You're just uh, standing in the middle. When Messiah comes, you can read Isaiah 29, 18, Isaiah 35, 4 through 6, Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, and you can find out what Messiah is going to be doing. He's going to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, 